This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Do we need to redefine Spursy? Is it now don't turn up at all for the first half? Don't bother until you have to score, then score, improve and score a last minute winner. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg's rocket means they top a group they were heading out of at half time. Is this all part of Conte's master plan? That goal puts Marseille out of Europe altogether while Europa League winners Frankfurt joined Spurs in the knockouts. Liverpool needed to hammer Napoli to top the group and they didn't. But a win against the best team in Italy. In fact, any win for Liverpool is good right now. Elsewhere, another bad night for Atleti, another bad night for Rangers and another good night for Eric Chupo-Moting. Also today, some Bundesliga, some Fulham, some Real Madrid land, some MLS, some feedback on moles, your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi. Lars Sivertson, hello. Good morning, Max. And Archie Rintut, hello. Hey, Max. As Gaz says, this is possibly the most just vibes pod lineup. <laughs> Anything could happen. <laughs> I would take that as a huge compliment to all of you. Uh, let's start with Group D. At various points in the night, Spurs, Sporting, Eintracht were all top of the group. Marseille were in the top two when they took the lead against Spurs. We're going into the Europa League until Spurs got that 95th minute winner. The table changed seven times in 90 minutes. It all means Tottenham top the group. Eintracht Frankfurt are second into the Champions League with them. Sporting going to the Europa League, and Marseille out. Edward says, I am a time-poor father. Should I just watch the second half for all future Spurs games? Barry, it's getting ridiculous now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's baffling. Really, really baffling. If you never watched Spurs play and just looked at results and league tables, you'd, you'd think they must be really good. You know, when Conte took over a year ago, they were ninth. Now they're third, the top of the group in the Champions League into the knockout stages. That's really good. They're they're doing incredibly well. And then working in the assumption that most of their fans do watch them play, <laughs> their inability to, to get the collective ass into gear before half time. It happens so often that people are now wondering if it's actually a tactic. And I it isn't. Of course it isn't. That would be lunacy. And Hugo Lloris uh, rubbished the notion more or less in his post-match interview last night saying the reason they were so bad in the the first half was because they they didn't really know what to do tactically, I think he said, and they sorted it out at half time. 
with uh, Christian Stellini in charge because Antonio Conte was barred from the, the dugout in the dressing room. But I think of all their poor first-half performances in recent times, this was probably the worst. I can't remember being quite this passive and and totally lacking in ideas, but they got there in the end, as as they tend to do. And and it reminds me, like, you know, the, the last team sort of to, to make such heavy weather of making their way through the Champions League won it. <laughs> they won it last year, Real Madrid. So who's to say Tottenham won't do the same? I don't think they will, but you never know. Lars, that last minute winner was hilarious, wasn't it? Marseille with no one back. Their manager basically on the pitch playing the Spurs team onside. Yeah, no, he was he was back. He was in a he, in a reasonable position to, to get involved. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. And then Hoiberg just smacking it into the corner because he was just so knackered he couldn't run anymore. Basically, thought I'll sod it, I'll just kick this as hard as I can. Yeah, that that was nonsense, wasn't it? It was great nonsense if you're a Spurs fan, but you had to just chuckle in the sofa and this is ridiculous. I did enjoy the Igor Tudor pitch invasion because the the further context is I think I'm pretty sure him and a lot of players in that squad don't really like each other that much because there was a sort of semi-player rebellion before the season kicked off <laughs> where there's a certain players wanted meetings with the president to discuss the coach and stuff. And I stress, before the season started. And, and then... Marseille started winning you know the season started much better than expected and everything settled down and then recently they've lost a few games again and again the rumors of of a a pending revolt are happening so there seems to be a lot of friction there and then when everything they're making this stupid mistake and everything is just kind of falling apart you you got the the coaches halfway into the field going you idiots what are you doing and it's like it's it was tremendous and maybe I mean that's reading a lot into it but there's something fitting about it being Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, right? Because he is someone who is, I believe I'm right in saying he's a slightly divisive figure within the Tottenham fan base because some see him as as the Viking who who always gives you everything and who runs around and who fights. Uh, uh, whereas others see a, a midfielder who's maybe technically not as proficient as they want a Tottenham midfielder to be and some of the running and the pointing and the stuff is, is not as productive as maybe it looks. So there is a sort of... The Hoiberg wars are ongoing in social media, I believe. And we're seeing some of the same thing about Contis. But the Spurs are in the ridiculous position of being third in the league and qualified from the Champions League group stage. And quite a few fans think the manager should move on, which is a really weird thing for, for, for Spurs when you think about it. You talk about the definition of Spursy, Max. And the fact is, I don't think we were all that far away from it when... Sead Kolosinac oh, misses wow. that header a couple of minutes before full time. And I, I, as somebody who was watching back the highlights of this game, I was like, everyone's talking about this glorious victory for Tottenham. Boy, they got very lucky. They're also with that fantastic block from Ivan Perisic just before that. I, what a knife edge that this game, this group was on. And yeah, maybe they got away with one. That what Barry was talking about regarding, you know, how people view Spurs who don't watch them. Barry, you probably hit the nail on the head for how I view them. I think, oh, you know, Antonio Conte, they must have quite a lot going for them. And yet every time I hear a Spurs fan speak, it's just with this anguish about how things are right now. Jack says, did you know that Kolasinac plays for Marseille? Well, we all do now. (laughs) (laughs) They've got a great squad for like, wait, is he there? (laughs) There's there's a few of those. There really are. Um, I wonder if the players enjoy that. You know, 
I'm obviously biased when I'm watching it, but I'm just watching good footballers and thinking like it feels like like the end point for most football teams is to try and get the ball in the goal. The end point for Tottenham is just to try and get it back to Eric Dyer <laughs> to play a side foot pass to someone next to him. That's like what they're, that's what they're trying to do. And you just wonder if the players go, surely I'm like I'm quite. I'd like to do a one-two, or I'd just like to just like, just, I'd, like I'd like to try something. I suspect their more creative players probably don't enjoy. I mean, Harry Kane is feeding off scraps. Now, we have to bear in mind, they're missing Richarlison and Kulisevsky, who are big losses. They may be missing Son now for a while, because he seemed to get quite a bad knock and maybe has a concussion or a fractured face or both. But Harry Kane must look at, at Manchester City and, and think of all the lovely, lovely goals. <laughs> he'd be. That could be me. You know, here's what I could have won. And here's my existence. <laughs> you know, it's it's so it'd be like me looking at a, a lottery winner. You know, I'm quite content with life, but my life would be so much better if I had you know a hundred million quid in the bank. So I, I reckon that's probably what Harry Kane is is like in footballing terms. I have a quiz uh, for you guys, which oh, is great. who had the highest number of touches in the Marseille box. In the first half of this game, was it Tottenham Hotspur Football Club or my dog? Is it the same? There's a draw, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, so it's a very, which I think is a very good result for Lola when you think about it. You know, she didn't, she didn't take a lot of risks here. She didn't, you know, expose herself at the back. She just kind of played it safe and ended up getting a draw with Tottenham in terms of touches in the opposing box in the first half of this game. Huge result for Jogo. But um, on the serious note, with these first halves that we've talked about, you mentioned the possibility that it could be a strategy, Barry. I don't think the strategy is to be this bad, but I do think there's something about we're going to keep our foot slightly off the pedal because you're right, it can't happen this many times and it'd be completely coincidental, right? But there is a difference between saying we're not going to go full steam ahead and expose ourselves, just making sure we're, we're not doing anything stupid in the first half, and then we can turn up the tempo in the second. That's one thing. And what's actually happening, obviously, is that it's something else entirely, because they're just not at the races. But the interesting point, we talk a lot about, oh, Conte's approach is too defensive. He did say after the Bournemouth game, and I think this is interesting, he said after the Bournemouth game that we have to play the way we do in training. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. We have to play the way we do in training all the time, not just when we're two goals down. So he seemed to suggest that when, you know, Bournemouth woke them up by scoring goals and Spurs had to go forward, that that's more what he wants to see. But then he is the coach then. So maybe you've got to find a way of prodding them into playing more like that because it is really strange more than anything. Yeah. And also, you know, the coach, it's weird that a team come out and players come out and say, we didn't really know what to do in the first half. Like, surely someone before the game tells you, you know, gives you an idea of what to do. But as you said, the top of the group, John Bruin pointing out Glenn Hoddle on Cocoms saying, uh, on Conte being in the stands going, I don't know if he's got a phone or some other kind of situation down there. What, what <laughs> on earth is he alluding to? I, mean, I don't know. Have you been reading about the chess recently, well, Max? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's what many people first thought. How is how is contact communicating? Glenn's been reading about the chess. <laughs> Some kind of other situation. It was quite an interesting thing in the in their post match analysis on BT Sport. Rio Ferdinand was quite 
bewildered by the fact that Marseille didn't hang on for a 1-1 draw that would keep them in Europe. And that, you know, he was, why is there no one back for that Tottenham goal? And he said, you know, it, it's almost like the players didn't know. But I was kind of, that's fair enough, but I, I was kind of baffled if that's an elite player's opinion or take on the situation. You Surely you go all in on trying to nick a winner and get to the knockout stages rather than just, oh, we'll have what we hold and drop into the Europa League, which we probably won't win anyway. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I don't. Uh, you'll know, Lars Marseille's European record isn't great recently. Staying in Europe would have been really good for them. But also, I guess that the point that Rio Ferdinand was making, which I would probably agree with, is you can attack and not leave yourself yeah. that that. Oh, I mean, it was sort of wildly <laughs> open at the back, wasn't it? Anyway, John says our fireworks becoming less effective over time. Uh, the Marseille fans set off fireworks at three o'clock in the morning outside the Spurs hotel. Wonder if players need decoy hotels or you know fans need to lift it from just your normal box of fireworks it's just not doing the trick like it used to a few years ago i suppose we'll be joined by eintracht frankfurt turned it around from being one goal down to beat sporting lisbon uh, away from home and that is a brilliant result for frankfurt isn't it to, to get through to the knockouts even though the group was kinder than perhaps other groups could have been this is brilliant for them i went to their first game in the group against sporting where they got beaten 3-0. They had their chances in that game, but it felt like a real lesson. And this is the thing about Eintracht Frankfurt in Europe is that they learn their lessons quickly and have done. And for them to have another memorable European night like this, I think people at the club had thought, you know what, winning the Europa League, going to Barcelona, doing what they did, going to West Ham, doing what they did those nights were maybe coming to an end. So for them to have this last night, an evening where come the end of the night, the players came out again, well after full time to come and applaud the fans. It showed you why this is such a unique story. And I think it is one of the things that makes German football really interesting right now. Uh, and it has needed that. Let's Let's put it that way as well. So... An incredible game from Frankfurt, particularly because they looked so out of it in the first half. They just didn't look like they were creating anything. But on came Captain Sebastian Rauder at half time, who is a bit of a tackling machine at the best of times. But that he made 17 tackles in the second <laughs> half, which was the most of any player on the pitch during the whole game, tells you what kind of impetus that he gave them in the second half. They got a bit fortunate for my money with the penalty. Oh, God. Mm. Insane that. How that is. I, I think it might be the right decision. I don't know. But it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. He, I mean, the thing is, Sporting were looking for every free kick possible. And I think that, in a way, Coates has been a victim of that. Because as soon as he feels a touch from Kamada, he just flaps like a bird. And I think that actually that's his, his downfall. Whereas if he actually jumps normally, the ball doesn't touch his arm. But yeah, they were fortunate with that. Mr. Europe, as they call him, Daishi Kamada sticks away the penalty. And then uh, the man who I've seen described as the TGV, because he is an absolute train and he is my favourite player to watch in the Bundesliga right now. Uh, Randall Kolo Muani, just incredible prowess to push past the defender and just to fire so satisfyingly into the corner on the half volley as well. 
Uh, he's been an incredible signing for them. And yeah, they hung on pretty comfortably as well, did Frankfurt. I don't want to tread on football cliches turf, but when they say, you know, players, specifically, you know, they go like a train. Like, trains take ages <laughs> to get going, like really a long time. <laughs> Not the TGV, Max, you know that. Well, what's, I don't know the acceleration of the TGV. Is it, it's is quick. It pretty, okay. It's, it's, I, take it, it's, I take it back. It's the French high-speed train. You surely knew that as a cultured man of Europe. But does it accelerate quickly or does it just get up to a high speed in time? Yeah. Okay, well, then maybe that's Mwani. He starts slowly but gets very quick. I don't know the acceleration of the TGV. Please uh, send in letters and telegrams, uh, plane spotting listeners, <laughs> train spotting <laughs> listeners. Sorry. The plane spotters we need in a different occasion. In this case, train guys, let us know. Does the TGV accelerate fast or not very fast? <laughs> well, it set the world record for the fastest wheeled train, reaching 350. But that's not the point. That's like how, how long does it take to... 357.2 <laughs> miles an hour on the 3rd of April 2007. Uh, the conventional TGV services go up to 200 miles an hour, but as yet we don't have the acceleration. So, so you know, watch this space. And uh, you spent a lot of time since Frankfurt's run in the Europa League, actually contextualizing Eintracht Frankfurt. But you know, how are they getting on in the Bundesliga? Like, it's still worth remembering that this is to get through this to achieve everything they have is just superb, right? Yeah, well, because I'll do a quick rundown of <laughs> the progress. 2016 relegation playoff survivors 2017 german cup runners-up 2018 german cup winners 2019 against chelsea in the europa league semi-finals then they were back in the europa league the following year narrowly missed out on champions league qualification in 2021 but that meant they got back into the europa league which they won last year and now they're through to the champions league round of 16 ike for them it's a it's a magical story and the fact that They've done it as well with players like Kevin Trapp and Sebastian Rodo, who went to bigger clubs, didn't quite make it there and have come back and have been such pillars for them in this team. And that they have this connection with the players and the fans is, is something really special. And it does give them something that not every club, particularly in the Bundesliga, has. So, yeah. It's an incredible story that every time it looked like they were losing their, their great coach, whether it was Niko Kovac going to Bayern, whether it was Adi Huta going to Borussia Mönchengladbach, whether it was their sporting director, Freddy Bobic, upping six and going to Hertha. They've managed to, to fill in those gaps each time. And in Oliver Glasner, they have a fantastic coach, as he's proven once again, in, in terms of just having the feeling for what to do in the right moment. Bringing off Jesper Lindström, who has been outstanding for them this season has really exploded. He was good last season, but boy, I, has he been really good this season and probably should have had a penalty on Saturday, but that's a different story. He got a push in the back, two hands. The guy who did the push said it didn't happen, saw a replay and then on Instagram apologised saying, oh, you know what? Having seen this footage, I did actually push him. Uh, that's Dortmund's Carrie Maddy Amy. That's a bit of a side story. Point is, Lindstrom wasn't feeling so good last night. Still wanted to start the game, started the game and then, uh, yeah, Oliver Glasner finds the right potion to uh, to fix things up. So look, Group D was brilliant. Group A, there was sort of less on the line. Liverpool needed to hammer Napoli to get through. Uh, Rangers needed to hammer Ajax, I think. But obviously, that, 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 that we didn't necessarily need to worry about that particularly. Look, Liverpool didn't hammer Napoli. They won 2-0. Any win for Liverpool is good right now, Barry, I would say. Uh, yeah, and the problems that are affecting them in the Premier League don't seem to be affecting them in Europe. 
at all. Uh, Jurgen Klopp said afterwards that being compact makes all the difference. So they're able to stay compact in, in Europe, but not in on the domestic front. You know, Napoli are pretty impressive. I, there's not much you can read into this game, but that was their first defeat of the season, I believe, in all competitions. We had a kind of ludicrous VAR delay, which took, I think, four minutes or yeah. more. Fell at so hours, just, didn't it? Yeah, and the ref, yeah, it's, it's just, it's not fair on the paying fans who, who have no idea really what's going on. And uh, we had another concussion incident with James Milner, who shipped a blow to the head from Andre Zambo and Guissa, uh, I think, who um, Artie will remember fondly or unfondly, I don't know. His time at Fulham, but anyway, uh, <laughs> he played on. He got treatment, played on, went in for half time, came back out for the second half, and then had to go off. So he, he wasn't, you know, a signal to the bench pointing to his head saying, "I can't play on." So again, this is a thing that needs to be sorted out urgently, and no one really seems to care about it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, good win for Liverpool. Not good enough to to get them in the top of the group. This VAR was one of those very tight offsides, wasn't it, from a free kick? And there was another Napoli player who was offside, but he was clearly offside, but Ostergaard wasn't clearly offside, so it took them a while. I think there was a technical issue as well with, with VAR, apparently. Um, Adam says, how long before players all start wearing green boots to try and blend in with the pitch in an effort to deceive <laughs> VAR? <laughs> that's, that's just what we need, isn't it? Um, but I, just, I do wonder, like, what... What do they do in that four minutes? You say it's not fair on the fans. I think everyone agrees it is not fair. On the TV, it's kind of like, it's different, isn't it? You're you're watching on TV. It's a different experience. You know, you have people talking to you. Even if they don't know what's going on, you feel like you've got a vague idea what's going on. If you understand, you just don't have replays. You do not know what's happening. Do you think, Lars, there should be somebody on the tannoy explaining what's happening? Or would that just, would that make people even more angry? I don't know. I mean, there's not much else they could say by seeing there's an ongoing VAR check, which surely, like, I'm not being funny, but I've been at games where there's been VAR checks. You must realize that that's what's happening. Like, if a goal is scored and the game isn't restarted and the referee is standing on the middle of the pitch looking nonplussed. No, I think everyone knows there's a VAR check, but they may not necessarily know what is being checked. It can only really be for an offside, because if it's something like a foul that's subjective, then the ref should go to the monitor, I think. Well, anyway, listen, no one's going to say that a uh, three, four minute VAR check for a marginal handball is a fun thing to have happen in a game. Like, I'm not going to defend that. And uh, and I actually think the gods of football are conspiring now to present to me the most annoying VAR things possible, since I've kind of defended the system a little bit. Because we had this, which is a, a Norwegian player I have a lot of time for uh, scoring at Anfield which obviously delighted me and then last week we had uh, a lad who was born in Papua New Guinea scoring a worldie for Hoyeko Helsinki against Roma which also just made me so happy that I ended up getting chalked off for just a nonsense foul so, so even my sort of marginal faith in the system is, is being tested here now I have to say but, but with this there must have been a technical issue because there's no reason why it should take that long with the sort of new fancy semi-automatic system they have uh, Rangers have the worst ever Champions League group stage performance of all time, played six, one not, draw not, lost six, four, two against 22. They were up against Pilsen for this honour, uh, but Pilsen did better than them against Barcelona and had a better record anyway going into this or scored more goals. 
Martin says, beating PSV in the Champions League playoff was the worst thing to happen to Rangers this season. Changed my mind, he says. Um, from European finalist to worst team in the group stage history, what a turnaround. What do you reckon, Barry? Would it have been better for them to lose to PSV and go into the Europa League? Everyone else is shaking no. their head. Money, money. <laughs> yes, there we go. Ask, Thank ask you. the Rangers accountants what they make of that statement. <laughs> no, it's obviously from a purely financial point of view, it's better to be in the Champions League group stages than the Europa League group stages. But they got spanked again. They keep giving up really bad goals to give away. And after each defeat, they talk about it being a learning curve. And, you know, we, we will learn from this. But they've had five games and did pretty badly in all of them. And it's, it's hard to see them learning anything from game to game. So I'm not sure what they will learn from this apart from the fact that they're miles off being among Europe's elite. What I would want to say about the Rangers thing is that when the draw was made and they get Liverpool, Napoli, who turn out to be a lot better than everyone thought they were going to be, and Ajax, and if you tell me they're going to get nil points from this group, I'd say, you know what, fair enough, because you're Rangers and that is a brutal draw. But the, the thing that disappoints me a little bit is that I watched quite a few of their games in the run to the Europa League uh, last season, you know, and, and and I was, without sounding patronizing, I was very impressed by just how much they were able to, to use the physicality and the intensity to make life difficult for more technically competent teams, maybe, right? And we just didn't really see that in this group, you know? They were just so not at the races in the bits that I saw. And, and that surprises me, is what I say. I think central to that, though, was Calvin Bassey and that he's on the other side last night clearing off the line for Ajax uh, was almost just uh, a little shortened version of, of how their campaign's been. Also missing Joe Aribo. And I think that new signings like Malik Tillman and Rabi Matondo, Rangers recruitment has come under fire. I think it's also difficult when your arch rival is having such a good time and telling you all about the good time that they're having. And when they've taken such a pasting to Celtic as well already at Parkhead so far this season, I think that that's knocked a lot out of them as well. Of course you want to qualify and I don't think it's any sort of mistake. You know, I've got some figures in front of me here which which say you get at least a 15 million in terms of prize money from UEFA, Euros that is, for just starting in the group stages. And per point, you get 900,000 euros. So that sadly doesn't apply to Rangers. <laughs> but but it's why, it's why you know, for to circle back to the point um, that Barry was making earlier regards to Rio Ferdinand, for Marseille, there's a potential 13 million on the line, at least. And that's without the TV money, I think, that you get for them going forward and scoring a goal. And that money may be... Uh, chump change to a lot of Premier League clubs but to clubs on the continent that is a lot and that's a, a risk worth taking so yeah I don't think there's any shame in what Rangers have gone through it's just yeah I think also given the way that the gap has has widened between the haves and the have-nots in European football we shouldn't be shaming clubs who have less for not having any points yeah I agree with that but their performances were really bad mm -hmm. really really bad they are surely capable of better than that 
A word on Francisco Conceição, whose dad sold him to Ajax <laughs> from Porto uh, <laughs> in the summer. Sent him. I mean, there's a time-honored tradition. Like, you send the kid off to Amsterdam to become a man. Exactly. And, you, know, you make him sound like he was at a market and he had, like, a price tag <laughs> round, his, <laughs> round his neck. His dad sold him and he scored in the last minute. So, nice moment for him. Nice uh, evening all round for uh, the Conceição family. Um, and we'll get to Porto in just a second uh, in part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Football Weekly live on the 17th of November. Uh, me, Barry, Lars, joined by Ellis James at Earth in Hackney. I'm pleased to say we've almost sold out, so you don't have a lot left if you want to come. That's a relief. I don't have to tweet quite so much, but we are streaming around the world, so I'll tweet anyway. And my apologies in advance for that. Go to theguardian.com slash Guardian Live if you want to get one of the last tickets to see us in person. Or uh, it's the same website, <laughs> understandably, if you want to buy the online stream. And uh, you can watch that on Catch Up as well in the following week. And uh, we are working on some ideas for the live show, which if they come off, will be great. Um, uh, let's do Group C, uh, which was all sorted, wasn't it? We knew exactly what was going to happen. Bayern top of the group, Inter a second, Barca a third, Pils and fourth uh, with a slightly better record than Rangers. Bayern beat Inter 2-0. What a hit from Eric Chupomoting, Archie. <laughs> he scored five goals in October. Where has this come from? Is he a first-choice starter now for Bayern? And we've talked about him before recently because he played for Stoke, so we just don't think he can be good enough to be this good. But you can you see him much more than we do. Eric Maxim Chupamoting and this level of form is yeah unexpected to say the least. But in a way, it's a showing of of the Julian Nagelsmann effect that we were used to seeing more before his time at Bayern, where he would make players that you thought, ah, oh, he's okay, into wow, how's he so good? Namely, Sandro Wagner, I would say, who was something of a, an average Bundesliga striker who seemed to be a punchline to a lot of jokes and then became this great player for Hoffenheim who even got a move to Bayern and, yeah, a decent career off the back of it. Chupa Moting, he had actually, I remember, a great chance against Bayern in the Champions League final that they won for PSG. But, yeah, he has been the focal point that many who have criticised the false nine system of Julian Nagsman since uh, Robert Lewandowski left has been crying out for. 
I think he's helped. I think it points towards a greater question, which is the uh, the juicier political question at Bayern of, are they better without Thomas Muller right now? Uh, which is significant. He's been out injured for pretty much the last month. And yeah, Chupa Moting's form is something that no one really expected. I think uh, Julian Nagsman commented that he'd always been knocking at his door, asking him what kind of things he could do. And it's paid off. So uh, yeah, fair play to Chupo. Yeah, I just like the idea of other Stoke players just knocking on the Bayern Munich manager's door and saying, you know, what else can I do? You know, obviously, you know, Shawcross is the first one. (laughs) The manager just keeps saying, just be a bit better at football, if you would. That would be a really really good idea, mate. Um, The the handball from Sadio Mane in this game, like considering we were talking about the Coates one where he sort of jumps up and you're right, you know, he he gets pushed a bit and his arm flicks up and it flicks off his hand. It was straight at Mane's face. And he does put his hands up, but it's sort of, it's almost volleyball, right? It's such a handball. And I'll come to you, Lars, Lars. I don't know if that is a law. I presume it is a law that if you are protecting your face, you're allowed to handball it. He didn't make himself bigger, but he punched the ball with both of his hands. So the fact that it was, you know, an evasive maneuver is apparently something the refs should consider. But honestly, I think the thing that saves him, if we can use that phrase, is that it doesn't actually make the profile of his body bigger. So if you if you look at it again, imagine if you chopped off both his arms, he would still block that shot. It would hit him in the torso, right? And I, and I, and I think that's the big point yeah. because referees have to consider various things, you know, distance, does he have time to get out the way, you know, is there any intent, all these sort of things that goes into the ref's mental head computer and sort of spits out handball or no penalty. A big one is, are you making your silhouette bigger? And he isn't in this case. And it's one of those cases, things like, it looks a bit silly, but he isn't blocking an area that he wouldn't otherwise be blocking with a part of his body that he's allowed to block it with. <laughs> True, but he is punching the football <laughs> with both of his hands, right? <laughs> it seems counterintuitive to me. Like I, it's the first, like, I don't want handball penalties most of the time, but I'm staring at that one going, the amount of handball penalties I've seen here where someone's, you know, a fullback sliding in and blocking his arm just goes up and it's like, oh, well, you know, it has to be a penalty. It doesn't have to be a penalty. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, I was just presenting this. I think that is what saves him. That's not me saying that's why it's not a penalty. I, I, what I think is penalty, I've just kind of given up on. Yeah. But, but I think if we're sort of trying to jump into the referee's mind here, uh, I suspect that's what he was thinking, is what I'm saying. You know what we need? You know how with like, if you get like a foam roller, it gives you all the kind of different positions that you can try with the foam roller, for example. For handball, we need like accepted like, a nice kind of 16-picture chart of yeah. the kind of positions that are accepted, like if it's in front of your face or if it's like you're splayed out and those things, just so we can envisage what is and what isn't allowed. Because I'm just so confused as to, okay, so that's a penalty, but that's not. And there's just no consistency. And I think the consistency or the lack of it is what drives people crazy. I mean, if you're standing in a defensive wall with your hands over your gentleman's agreement, and Kevin De Bruyne rifles the ball straight at you and it hits your hands. I'm guessing that isn't going to be given as a handball. No, I wouldn't give that. But I guess you could not make your silhouette bigger, but sort of punch the... Like, you could like get your hand right out in front of your face and that would be within your silhouette, right? I mean, I don't know. You could have a really... Like an enormous 
you know, an enormous outfit, like a giant shirt. And you go, look at my silhouette. You could put, you could like attach like bat wings from your arms down. Anyway, anyway, it was a, it was an interesting decision, um, but another good win for Bayern. Just wanted to say on Bayern quickly that for as much as people have spoken about Lewandowski and the gap that that might have left, uh, Jamal Musiala has filled that. Any worries? He is the best player in the Bundesliga right now alongside Jude Bellingham. I'd probably put Bellingham just a notch below Musiala, such as the difference that he's made there. And yeah, is the shining light for Germany ahead of the World Cup. And also just a word on on Deo Upamecano, who I think had been seen as being something of a, a clumsy presence at the back. He has really matured this season and is finally i would say after so much talk of his potential like is he going to make it he's looking like he's he's going to he he's been one of their standout players this season and it's a question of who plays alongside him so yeah a fun win for barcelona in pills and pills gave it a good go didn't they Lars? they did this this was a strange game and and, and really Barcelona did rotate a little bit, and uh, they had uh, Pablo Torres starting. They had a couple of uh, young kids coming on in the second half. But it's still just sort of outlandish numbers coming out of this, because in, in the end, like Victoria Pilsen had 23% possession, which, which you'd expect. But they also had 22 shots, which, which is like, what? And, and it just kind of sums up where we are with this Barcelona team, is that there's so much possession, yet so little control over the game, which is the whole reason you're meant to keep the ball, is so the opponent can't really, can't hurt you. But Pilsen had a lot of chances here. And yeah, fair play to them for, for making a game of it. And I think it just further, I mean, it was a game that doesn't matter. I'm sure it was a little bit difficult for some of the Barcelona stars to really get up for it. And in the end, they did more than enough to, well, they did enough, certainly, to win it. But like you can't be conceding twenty two shots to Pilsen. Like this is just this is not good. And and like I think the PK and Marcos Alonso center half pairing is not long for this or any other world. I mean that that is the No, that feels like that feels like a Barcelona Legends centre back pairing, doesn't it? At a sort of charity game. But it's also like the Chelsea fans will back me up on this. That was the whole thing about Alonso. You can only really use him as a wingback. Like, he wasn't defensively sound enough that you could trust him as a fullback in a four. He needed to just be this gung-ho wingback who gets into the box and hits uncannily well-timed volleys. Shoving him at centre-half, I think, is not the solution. Like, I mean, unless... Uh, in fairness, then maybe he matures and becomes a different player. But yeah, no, Barcelona, look, they just look so vulnerable, man. It's uh, it's very strange. And uh, Pilsen kind of unfortunate not to get something out of this. Uh, from Group B, Porto won the group. Club Bruges comes second. They were top for most of this campaign. But it's a great achievement to get through. Leverkusen going to the Europa League. And Atleti are out of Europe completely. Chris says, Atleti and Simeone is the end night. Barry, I can't imagine a time when Diego Simeone isn't the Atleti manager. I presume it'll just be forever. Yeah. Um, I don't think the end will be nigh unless he decides he wants to leave. I, I can see him rocking up in the Premier League at some stage. What level? What where? Because like, you sort of feel like he'd have to go really, really big club, or do you think he'd go sort of like he can't be Watford manager, can he? Simeone, Spurs. Do you think Spurs? Mm. Oh, what the next? What they? I mean, think of oh Christ, no! That Spurs have gone through <laughs> exactly. How, how oh my God! Can you get the Spurs. Wow, that would be extraordinary. Liverpool? Um, could it? No, it couldn't. He couldn't. 
It couldn't do that footballer. I mean, it would be brilliant. I'd love to see proper <laughs> dirty shithousery pragmatism at Anfield, you know, just parking the bus. If I'd said to you five years ago, Max, you'll have Mourinho and Conte, what would you have said? Well, hang on. I can't remember where Mourinho was in his arc five years ago. Like, I feel like he's been in this bit of the arc for a long time, although he's... Just left Chelsea? Has he just left I Chelsea? Think. I don't know. I don't know is the answer, but I would have... <laughs> Still so long ago. <laughs> I also, I also, and this is my ignorance more than anything else, I also think, I just don't remember Conte's Chelsea doing this. Like, I imagine they just sort of did the other bits of what Conte wanted, but perhaps I'm wrong. Well, so they were a team that had less sort of possession than you'd expect a title-winning team to have, but they were attacking. They were very direct and like, whoosh, here we go, everyone, let's mm. run forward. Yeah. Victor Moses galloping up and down the flank there, yeah. and, you know, it was, it, was, it was better to watch for sure. Whoosh is certainly not an adjective that I do with Spurs. Anyway, we've, we've talked about them now. <laughs> um, at last, how big an achievement for Porto is it to win this group? It's big. I mean, they're an impressive team, uh, Porto, and I, I use that f- phrase consciously because they're not there's not really a superstar in this group but they're they're a group of really sort of hard-working and, and well-coached guys i'd like to flag up Mediterremi who scored again just because it's so unusual i mean Mediterremi is an iranian striker who turned up in europe at the age of 27 i think he was actually when he signed for rio Ave, having played his career earlier you know in iran and a couple of years in, in qatar and it's just, it's because of the way, the globalized nature of the sport, you know, the scouts are everywhere, you watch the video clips and the highlights, you know, it's very rare that a player can get to like 27 years of age and, and have the talent to perform at this level and no one spots him, you know? And I guess that's always the thing about um, football is that because it, it's a collective sport and you take someone out as one team and they can do better in another and all this. But it's really cool, I think, to have to see someone emerge like he has and, and he leads the line rather magnificently for Porto. There was a nice moment in this game where Renildo, who, who obviously is a footballer in his own right, but feels very much like a computer game that don't quite have the rights to call someone Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> but, but there was this weird moment, Lars, where he kind of high-fived the ref or the ref high-fived him. Yeah, so he, uh, he, he got a yellow card and he, he was kind of standing with his hand up and it wasn't entirely clear why the hand was up but it was sort of ideally positioned for a high five and and the ref sort of i don't know go for the high five but then he kept the it was the opposite of leaving someone hanging like he kept the hand up after the five <laughs> was completed he just wanted to do it again he just wanted to play pat a cake with the referee so as to well so as to suggest that Maybe he was just waving to the bench. I don't know. In which case, it's very funny that the ref high-fived him. He was actually just trying to signal to the to the sideline. It was a strange little interlude, I have to say. Uh, Leverkusen are through to the Europa League. Would they have taken that at the start of this group, Archie? And how's Xabi Alonso settling it? He did control one ball, one massive clearance. He just cushioned it with his pumps on and they just backed to whoever the thrower. It was a wonderful moment. But, I mean, obviously we know he's got a good touch. Is he a good manager? Max, I'm so glad that you asked me about this because I was like, I did not sit through that game for nothing. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I, I've been getting back into uh, Tetris on my Game Boy Advance, right? Oh, what's a Game Boy Advance? I mean, I, I, I can guess, but... You know. Hang on a minute. It's close. <laughs> this, this is what I'm here for. This is so good. This one. Yes. One. Oh, right. oh my oh, right. days. So, so that is a... Oh, it's a... It's a sort of, it looks like a, 
Mega Drive controller. And it looks like an Atari Lynx. That's what it looks like. You know, it, it was just like the the next thinned down version of the Game Boy. Basically, during lockdown, I went into a bit of a, a phase where I was like, well, you know, let's relive childhood to the max. And the point of this is, is that at the beginning of the second half, I started longingly looking over at that being like, this is going to be much more fun than watching the game. Because Leverkusen, it's just like a bad impression of Guardiola. Uh, pass, 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 nothing. And yeah, since Xabi Alonso has come in, they thrashed Schalke, which congratulations, they're last in the Bundesliga. Um, but <laughs> apart from that, Leverkusen themselves are in a relegation battle. I think just a, a quick word on Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think for the odd flash of something he looked disengaged and struck me more the amount of times that he was throwing his hands up in the air in frustration and it's precisely the kind of attitude that you don't need uh, when you're all up against it look Lucas Hadetsky who Lars you spoke very fondly of last week as a person I'm fully with you there pal I'm fully with you as a goalkeeper <laughs> I'm not there are 10 better goalkeepers than him in the Bundesliga uh, that I can count and if you're Bayer Leverkusen, you need a goalkeeper who is going to be winning you points in a season, let alone making the kind of mistakes that he's made. And on a semi-regular basis as well, what's more, they handed him a new contract at the start of September and you're like, what is the thinking behind this? Sure, their best player has been injured in Florian Wirtz. Sure, Patrick Schick hasn't been scoring. But the bigger question is, why can no coach play longer than one good season in a row at Leverkusen in the past eight years, despite all the money that is there? I think Bernd Schuster made a very interesting point about it, uh, which is that he's he's talked about, former by Leverkusen player, talking about how Leverkusen is this comfortable paradise for the guys who want a springboard and therefore there's not really much stress there. It's okay if you're fourth or fifth. And I think you see it this season when, despite all the quality they've got, so many of the players there, I think, are thinking, okay, but when's my big move? As opposed to, what am I going to achieve here at Leverkusen? And I think that's a difference as well with you got even Eintracht Frankfurt, who don't pay as much, but have players there who are like, we are here to achieve with Eintracht Frankfurt. And I don't think that the same can be said of Leverkusen. Can I ask you, Archie, a Tetris-related question? As a recovering Tetris addict... Of, of many years are you at the stage where when you go to bed at night and close your eyes you start <laughs> falling down in your head i'm past that baz i'm past <laughs> that i was helping somebody clean out their cellar yesterday and let me tell you i was so much better at that than i would have been two months ago the way that we we're organizing it but yeah, I've gone through that phase again where you do start to see the blocks just when you shut your eyes. Um, and I don't mind, actually. It's all right. When I was young, I used to work for a while in the fruit and veg warehouse where the job was basically to ride around in like little these little trucks and uh, the forklifts and things and, and put together like the orders for the shops. So you went and got so-and-so many potatoes and so-and-so much cabbage and build little towers on the pallet and then put plastic around it and wow. send it off. So I was basically playing like giant Tetris with veg for, for work. Cabbages. Yeah, and I initially thought the job was really boring, but then I realized that, hang on, I'm, I'm playing Tetris here and I'm getting paid for it. It was amazing. 
yeah, you've got six potatoes and then suddenly you get a cabbage yeah, and yeah, that doesn't yeah. fit there. That's really annoying. Oh no, I've stuck the cabbage on top of everything and now they're all just vegetables stuck on top of each other and then it just explodes. <laughs> and oh. it had an added dimension of you needed to bear in mind weight. You need to have the heavy parts at the bottom and then the salad last because if not, the whole thing becomes structurally unsound. You know, there's a lot of stuff to consider. Love that job. Anyway, it was great. It's a, more, it's a more technical version of Tetris, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Stacking actual vegetables. Given that Angry Birds got a movie, surely Tetris is well overdue that, you know, just kind of visualizing this. I have a feeling there is a Tetris movie. Well, hang on. Well, you I look for that. I've just got to check. <laughs> what would be the plot? Yeah, there is a Tetris movie. What uh, on earth can happen in the Tetris movie? But what would be the plot? Because, like, they did Battleship, and then there was a whole scene where they were, like, going to grids and, and firing off cannons and things, and they kind of made sense. In what world do you end up... Maybe you have... To, it's a crisis at the warehouse, and you have to get the fruit and the veg really fast. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking, you know. And, and suddenly, when you, when you order it all in the right way, it clears the mess. Yeah. Barry, read us the synopsis, here. Tetris is an upcoming biographical film directed by John S. Baird for Apple Studios and Apple TV+. Plus. Unfortunately, it's the true story of the high-stakes legal uh, battle to secure the intellectual property rights. To that sounds that terrible. Pretty dull. Oh, okay, well, look, uh, we'll let you know. We'll, we'll get someone to watch it and review it. Uh, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three will start in one second. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Barry, a, a story you saw from the Associated Press on the Qatar World Cup is great. Uh, the latest news, up to 1,600 fans uh, of teams who've qualified are reportedly being recruited. This all-expenses-paid trip, sing at the opening ceremony, stay for two weeks, write nice things on Twitter, and get put up in a hotel. Yeah, um, it's nice jolly if, if you're into, you know, can look past the moral issue, but... Uh, I think every team who's who's playing there will be represented by a group of fans who will be basically paid to cheerlead for the tournament and and will participate in the the opening ceremony and obviously one presumes they'll be carefully vetted to make sure they don't do anything mischievous that might portray the tournament in a bad light. According to documents seen by AP, the fan leaders have been told, they're called fan leaders, have been told, we are not asking you to be a mouthpiece for Qatar, but it would obviously not be appropriate for you to disparage the country or the tournament. Sounds similar. The influencers also had to agree to report any offensive, degrading or abusive comments on social media to the organising committee, and if possible, take screenshots and to incorporate where appropriate content provided by Qatari organisers and support the World Cup by liking and resharing third-party posts. The other bit I liked about it was they would, in the opening ceremony, the cameras will pan onto each set of these fans and they'll sing a song and they'll be told which song they're going to sing and be given, like, the words. So what, you know, surely England fans know how to sing Inga Lund, Inga Lund, Inga Lund. And they, what else are they going to get unless it's unless they make the unfortunate choice of 10 German bombers or something, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> anyway, the whole thing. Football supporters, Europe Executive Director Ronan Evan said, what is very clear is that they're not fan representatives, they're employees or volunteers of the World Cup and should be considered as such. Gareth says, what's Archie's take on Union Berlin? Phenomenal effort so far. Can they keep it up? Yeah, it's mad. Uh, we addressed it earlier on this season. I thought it might have 
yeah, somehow gone down the drain by now. But I think it's 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 also symbolic of of where the league is at right now. That twelve of the eighteen Bundesliga clubs have had their coach for less than a year, and you look at the ones at the very top right now. You look at okay, Bayern have had Julian Nagelsmann into the second year now, but you look at Christian Streich, who's been at Freiburg for ten years. And Urs Fischer has been with Union for four. And that kind of stability of does the squad fit with the playing style of the coach? I think if you look at Leverkusen, Gladbach, Dortmund, Hoffenheim, Wolfsburg, big clubs in terms of budget, but things don't fit as well as they do at, say, Union. And I think they are very uncomfortable to play against. Their brand, if you will, is being as they always say, eklish, which is ugly in terms of the way that they play. And I think compared to some of these other clubs, there's not the same kind of pressure from sponsors uh, or supporters to play in a certain way that they're not needing to get fans into the stadium. They are just playing their way. They play a lot on the counter. They don't have as much of the ball. It's exciting. And when they do have to dig in, I think that Union really relish that and they relish the dirty work and the fans do too. And it creates something of a siege mentality, a really tight, old-fashioned stadium, which is a cauldron. And look, competing against Bayern over the course of a season, particularly when Bayern seemed to have really found their form in the last weeks, it's going to be tough. But the way that they just seem to keep digging out these results... And they just have this unique quality to them. Edin Terzic, the Borussia Dortmund coach, said it well. It's that you know exactly what they're going to do and yet you can't stop them. Which is something that you would say of, of what a lot of big clubs have done down the years. So yeah, it's exciting. No matter how many big players they've lost, they've always been able to replace them. Max Kruse, Robert Andrich going to Leverkusen, for example. Marvin Friedrich going to Gladbach. Grisha Promel going to Hoffenheim. Taiwo Awoni went to Nottingham Forest. These just through the last years, I could go on. And their recruitment has been superb in terms of finding the right players. So yeah, why not? They can make Champions League for sure. You know it's going to happen, but you just can't stop it. It's, it's a bit like when Tetris speeds up at the end, <laughs> isn't it? Stuart says, during these times where inflation is hurting many football fans, is it unreasonable to expect the Premier League to stick to its own provisional dates to release all January kickoff times by the 11th of October? Allowing fans to book trains as far ahead as possible seems reasonable. Instead, we're 21 days past their own deadline. We only know kickoffs up to the 5th of January. It's bad enough for the number of 8pm kickoffs, meaning away fans are shafted over the New Year period. For example, Arsenal, Newcastle, Man United, Bournemouth. Feels like match-going fans are not considered at all. It's it's nothing new, Barry, is it? That you know, The match-going fan has to wait for the TV announcements and move around. And, and there seems to be no joined-up thinking, you know, with the train services, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to help away fans get to football matches. No, and those fixtures that the most recent announcement came over two weeks late, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's something the Football Supporters Association are constantly flagging up to the Premier League, to the TV companies, and the Premier League and the TV companies don't care. But we know, we've known for a very long time that the Premier League and the TV companies don't care about match-going fans. So I'm not sure what's to be done unless they could obliged by law or something. But 
they're given these deadlines to release TV fixtures and, and constantly ignore them. So for the benefit of, of listeners, I've just shrugged my shoulders. Yes, I, I yeah. don't know what can be done. For the tape, it was a Glenn Denning shrug. Neil says, has Marco Silva had enough credit for the job he's done at Fulham? Especially given that his director of football pretends to be Vince McMahon most of the week. Uh, Fulham fans to answer first. Arch, I, look, I scan down the Zoom and see a Fulham fan in Archie Bintut. So, as I've done on every opportunity, I'm going to use this again. The ticket prices are a shambles. And it taints my joy a bit of this season because I see the results and I think they're going to see this as a legitimizing of their approach all round, which worries me. And still, when I see £60 for a home game against Southampton, it saddens me that, yeah, there are people who have enjoyed past editions of Fulham and indeed suffered through past editions of Fulham and don't get to enjoy this because they are financially disadvantaged. To Marco Silva, uh, he is the centrepiece of the success and how he's managed to get players who didn't look comfortable in the Premier League last time, a la Tim Ream, Niskins Cabano, uh, to really step up and, you know, just to see little moments against Everton, for example, where Niskins Cabano is able to find himself out of a, a warren of three Everton players is for me just partly what the confidence that Marco Silva's given the players that wasn't there under Scott Parker, where I think the approach was was too cautious and they found the right balance. Jao Palinia, credit to Vince McMahon for, for his signing. Um, I think that doesn't happen without Marco Silva, though. I think the Portuguese connection there is is important in terms of getting the best out of them. Willian as well has been excellent. Mitrovic goes without saying. I think that people now talk about the Mitrovic test uh, and whether they will pass that is quite satisfying. So... I'm still looking at it in terms of 21 points to go until survival because the defence has still wobbled quite a bit. But even Issa Diop has done well when he's come in for Tosin Adarabayoyo. So, yeah, things are looking surprisingly good at Fulham. Uh, Lars, many people wanted you to talk about the MLS, which I confess <laughs> I, have, I don't have the bandwidth to watch. Uh, Autumn Florek, you'd make us Philadelphia Union fans happy if we could get Lars to comment on the MLS match this weekend. But they've just been great. Um, I guess they'd be better. I don't think I'm on next week, so someone else should have to do an MLS roundup. But it's the, the MLS Cup final, uh, or just the MLS Cup this uh, this weekend. Uh, LAFC coming up against uh, the Philadelphia Union. I'm, I'm sure LAFC will be favourites uh, with the bookmakers. And if you're being very... From what I've watched, you'd probably say that LAFC are the best team in MLS this season. But, but no, you're right. We really should make a point of, of Philly because they've just put together a brilliant season without having any sort of big stars and without spending a, a huge ton of money on fancy designated players. And they're just really, really good going forward. Goals coming from, from a number of players. Yes, LAFC are favorites for this, but in addition to being really good going forward, Philly have got this goalkeeper, Andre Blake, who I think is tremendous. He's a Jamaican international goalkeeper who is one of those who can just go go full Gandalf and say, you know, you shall not pass and just, you know, not conceding anything <laughs> today. So I think this could be an exciting game, even if LAFC are, are the favorites. Maybe you could send us a voice note, Lars. Um, I'll try and force somebody who's on next week to record it. Um, we had a couple of questions about Deli Ali. Someone just said, does anyone know how he's getting on? And then a few people, a report sort of came out recently, Lars, that you, you pointed him in the direction of his his manager, uh, Bajiktas 
hauled him off at halftime against Umran Iyaspor on Sunday. Senor Gunes said Delhi is performing, quote, below expectations in terms of efficiency. And actually, you and I last were having a conversation on WhatsApp about this yesterday, about, you know, players who lose their way and the fact that there are sort of myriad reasons that it could be and we don't know. And actually, I sort of think about like the Paul Pogba blackmail story and the fact that, you know, we talk about these players and their form without really knowing what's happening behind the scenes. And we can't caveat every conversation. We talk about every footballer going, well, we obviously don't know what's happening in their real existence. But it is worth remembering that, is it? No one has any idea really what the life of Delhi Alley is. It's just a real shame that someone who was so good, and I know I mentioned it before, I watched that semi-final against Ajax, the, the away match. Him and Donny van der Beek were brilliant in that game, you know, and these two guys who just haven't really gone on to to do anything. And and none of us know. I can't I wouldn't expect any of you to go, I know what's happening with Deli Ali, but for it to not work out at Spurs and then Everton and then Bajiktas, it's just a shame, isn't it? You can't expect every player to to just keep going up in the graph. I, I think it it's natural, if anything, that it doesn't happen all the time. And we maybe need to temper our expectations as well. It happens as well with with young players. I think we expect way too much of young players in terms of consistency because of the way that a few anomalous talents like Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe perform on a weekly basis when, if I look at, in a Bundesliga um, sense, because that's what I watch the most, I look at a team like Stuttgart, for example, who have packed their team with young players and it doesn't work. You need experienced heads. That's actually the other side of the Union Berlin story is that they have one of the oldest teams in the division and the experienced pros who have made their mistakes and and learn and are well settled in their ways. So yeah, I, I think with, with Deli Ali, it should be enough for him to have done what he has in his career. And it is. Like he, he should he should feel enough on a mental health side that the fact that he made it to the Premier League. That puts him still in a very slender percentage of people to have done that. And that, okay, because he didn't max out on expectations of what someone else would have thought he did, fine. But it's still very impressive. And, and whilst I think it's very easy to become a meme and a punchline these days, it still needs to be appreciated and respected that to get where he did is still a ridiculous achievement. Uh, James says, in light of the news of Real Madrid land... Which football-related theme park ride would the panel most like to go on? The Big Sam drop ride? A visit to Sean Dyche's <laughs> Worm World? This is the story, according to a, a book written by Jonathan Clegg, Messi versus Ronaldo. Uh, Jonathan Clegg and Josh Robinson. Uh, Florentino Perez launched a project to turn the Santiago Bernabeu into an amusement park. Uh, he met with executives from Disney, um, but the uh, the project ended up failing. And it was finally decided to reform and expand the Madrid Stadium as a football stadium. The project was apparently at an advanced phase. The Madrid president had already begun to design a Zinedine Zidane-themed roller coaster based on the volley in the 2002 Champions League final. This is great, isn't it? Other bits of football. The David Dunn failed Rabona roller coaster. <laughs> I, I, I think we mentioned it already, but I'd, I'd quite like to go to Stokeland and, and go on the... <laughs> The Rory Delapse. Oh, yes. 
That's a really good idea, isn't it? I want the Wilfred Zaha escape room where you're sort of suddenly trapped somewhere and you're desperately trying to, to get out, but there's just you're under contract, so it's not really possible to <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you can send us some ideas for those, please. Uh Michael says, Dear football wokely, thank you. <laughs> On yesterday's pod it was <laughs> <laughs> people people say that i read that from elon musk but the thing is what he doesn't realize when it, when we record this i keep shouting eat the rich at random intervals but it always gets edited out i mean it's this <laughs> yeah for those who don't know elon musk said of the guardian it used to have balance moderately left and integrity but now as a far left-wing propaganda machine i hope they get back to where they were one day um i hope that doesn't coincide entirely with when I picked up from Jimbo, but you never know with my crazy uh, socialist ways. Anyway, dear Football Wokely, on yesterday's pod, it was claimed that James Madison had a worm's eye view of a free kick. However, worms don't have eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Furthermore, it was then claimed he had a mole's eye view. Moles are renowned for having terrible eyes. So it appears Ian Wright was correct in the first place where he suggested Madison had a bird's eye view. I mean, no disrespect to worms or moles. Then Andy said, does any subterranean animal have good eyesight? Again, I don't know, but if you could let us know, that that would be very useful. Uh, Let's finish with this. Uh, David, lots of people got in touch about Lars's injury and the Twitter thread that he wrote the other day, and you may not have seen it. You may not be on Twitter. Good for you if you aren't. Love to Lars. The excellent thread about his dreadful injury and slow recovery was wondering if he'd be willing to talk about what it was like to be back at the football in person. It is worth just, just on that thread, the bit of the story where you basically, what, you broke your leg, you didn't have your phone, there was no one about, and the postman was at the door, and you had to kind of pull yourself along to get to the postman in a kind of it was a bit like a sort of man on a desert island with sos and the plane flying (laughs) away and you're just sort of waving frantically but you're in agony yeah um yes so being a very clumsy man i i fell down the stairs which is not the first time but this time instead of hearing a thump on landing i heard a thump and a crack which is not ideal and uh, I, I sort of briefly looked at my I, my ankle and it just wasn't shaped like an ankle anymore. And my foot was kind of pointing off to sea or the nearest source of water or whatever. It just wasn't pointing in the direction a, a foot should. <laughs> and obviously I'm being flippant, but this was deeply unpleasant. And, and I'm not a very tough person. So, so just the, in, in terms of pain registers, that I was experiencing some very new and interesting things. And uh, I had to sort of... I had no phone on me like an idiot and uh, my my girlfriend had gone away for the weekend so I had to get to the front door because the mailman was there so I could sort of pop open the mailbox and say hey I kind of need an ambulance as an aside I know when I was trying to talk to the mailman my my accent went completely I had a Norwegian accent actually which is an interesting sort of psychological thing that I was so overwhelmed with pain that my, I wasn't able to express myself normally but yeah uh, had to crawl to the door it it wasn't good I do now know what it feels like to have like two broken ends of your tibia grind against each other as you're trying to like it's um I have to say it's, it's a really interesting form of pain that's very different to any other I've uh, I've experienced and uh, yeah hope to not experience it again uh, but the, the point of the question was yeah I was back at the football this weekend uh, I was at Man United West Ham with a group of friends and colleagues 
And it's really odd how, obviously, I've watched a lot of football, but it's the smells are such a big part of the experience, man. It's it's one of those things. Like the sounds, yeah, you get you you remember, but yeah, I became bizarrely emotional at the smell of the burger vans around Old Trafford, which is like sort of uh, not being a big sort of burger van man myself. But it's weird how these things you associate with going to the football uh uh hit you and no it was it was quite a special experience uh, i have to say and uh, yeah recovery is going good it's going to take a while until i can walk normally again but uh i can hobble around at home without crutches now which is a big move uh it's one of the things they don't tell you about smashing your leg is that for a long time you just can't carry anything because uh, you're on crutches so i've been walking around with a backpack all, all the summer in, inside the house and whenever i went to try to get a drink it has to be in the bottle because i can't get a cup of coffee because you can't carry a cup of coffee in the backpack so it's, <laughs> don't you have a little truck to carry all the vegetables no, you'd think so yeah that, that'd be good that'd be good <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, but thanks for your concern, guys. Slightly overwhelmed by the response to the thread. I just It felt slightly self-indulgent to write about it all, but I kind of wanted to just take a moment to, to big up the, the NHS for, for putting my leg back together again and uh, my, my girlfriend, Polly, for keeping up with me and uh, nursing me back to health these last few months. That's, I'm very, uh, very grateful to a lot of people. Yeah, well, you're loved by many, Lars, and uh, we are pleased that you're recovering. And God, thank I've been told off for for swearing, so I'll try not to say. But just thank God the postman was there, right? Otherwise, this, otherwise, <laughs> yes, yeah. it's the real hero of the story. I, or as someone pointed out, thank God he wasn't listening to something on earphones. I mean, that would be desperate. <laughs> thank, listen, thank God no postman listened to this podcast, unless of course you want to correct us on that. Uh, Football Weekly at theguardian.com and that'll do for today. Uh, cheers, Archie. Cheers, Max. Uh, cheers, Lars. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Baz. Thanks. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Football Weekly was produced by Lucy Oliver with Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. This is The Guardian. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.